many ways, Thanksgiving is an American holiday. Thanksgiving could be said is a Christian holiday. As debates about the origin of all the other times of celebration that are even used in ways to remember our Lord. But no matter how hard we may try, the origin to the Thanksgiving holiday (coughs) goes back to pilgrims who had a desire to give thanks to God for the things that he had done for them, provisions he had made to them, and for his sufficiency in the midst of all other difficulties. When we think of giving thanks, we often think of the many beneficial things that we experience and enjoy as Christian people. It struck me that when I thought of the Puritan, or the pilgrims, excuse me, in their Thanksgiving service, obviously they were very grateful for the provision that had been made for them in sustaining them through that summer into the fall. But it was overshadowed with the fact that there were extreme hardships that they had faced. There was deprivation that they had experienced. There were many difficulties that were part of their experience, and yet they wanted to pause to give thanks to the Lord. When we think of offering thanksgiving to God, we recognize that it's something that's appropriate for God's people. And then when we look at what the Apostle Paul had to say, he spoke about exalting in God's glory and grace given to him, but he said, not only that, I exalt in my tribulations. And the more I've considered it, I've recognized that a genuine expression of thanksgiving is not only for the quote-unquote good things that happen in our lives, but a recognition that underwriting everything that takes place in our experience, what we most need to be thankful for is that we are the objects of God's favor. And whether we go through times of difficulty, deprivation, heartache, or joyful experiences, it is appropriate for God's people to give thanks to the Lord. I've chosen Psalm 28 because it's not one of the typical Thanksgiving psalms. As we look at it, it starts by saying it is a psalm of David. And we know that in David's experience, there were signs of great blessing that God bestowed upon him. But we also know that David suffered times of great difficulty and even heartache. And in this song, David is expressing his utter need upon God and his joy in the relationship that he had with God and God's favor to him. Follow along as I read it first, and then we'll look at some of the teachings from it. Psalm 28, a psalm of David. To you, O Lord, I call. My rock, do not be deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my supplications when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your holy sanctuary. Do not drag me away with the wicked 
and with those who work iniquity, who speak peace with their neighbors, but evil is in their hearts. Requite them according to their work and according to the evil of their practices. Requite them according to the deeds of their hands. Repay them their recompense, because they do not regard the works of the Lord, nor the deeds of his hands. He will tear them down and not build them up. Blessed be the Lord, because he has heard of my supplication. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and I am helped. Therefore, my heart exalts and with my song, I shall thank him. The Lord is their strength and he is the saving defense of his anointed. Save your people. Bless your inheritance. Be their shepherd also and carry them forever. This psalm written by David obviously was written by him in an experience in life where he felt threatened even of his life itself. We also notice that as David reflects upon his relationship with the Lord, as he mentions in verse 8, he says that he is the Lord's anointed. And so this would have to be written by David as an experience in his life after the time in which Samuel had anointed him as the future king of Israel, or Saul was now gone and he was on the throne uh, as the king over Israel. In either case, we know that if we think of David with circumstances, and you read some of the commentaries that are written about this song, and they try to pinpoint an experience in David's life, uh, the two events that seem to be most frequently thought of would be, number one, David running for his life from Saul. And the fact that David suffered greatly during that period of time as he awaited the fulfillment of God's promise to make him the next king over Israel. Another life-threatening circumstance for David is the fact that David, during his kingship, experienced the treachery of his son. The treachery of his son, Absalom. And Absalom developed a coup against his father and sought to put him to death. I think in the providence of God, God did not want us to know which of the circumstances in David's life is referred to here, but something that we can identify with is the fact that we all find ourselves in times of great difficulty in circumstances where if God does not intervene and God does not help, we have no hope. And that's where David is found. Now, if we put this psalm in its category, it would be a, classified as what would be called a lament psalm because it is the psalmist, in this case David, looking at a circumstance in his life where he had no resource in himself to deliver himself from his plight but had to look upon the Lord as the one who would help him. So in David's circumstance, he is in a desperate, life-threatening circumstance. Isn't that what he says? Lest my soul goes down to the pit, lest I be dragged away with the wicked. David recognizes if God doesn't intervene, it isn't that I might just suffer some type of loss of a benefit, but it's the loss of my life itself. 
And in typical Hebrew fashion, as a reminder to each one of us, no matter what difficulty you face, no matter what problem is upon you, no matter what calamity may come, no matter how difficult the circumstance may appear to be, where you think, there's no way out of this. There is never a hopeless situation for God's people. And so the song ends with praise. Blessed be the Lord. He's the one who's heard my supplication. And so in similar fashion for each one of us, regardless of what we go through day after day, a circumstance that's unexpected, we have the confidence of knowing there is no hopeless situation for any one of God's children. So as we look at this song, as David makes his cry for help, there are certain things that we can see in David's focus. The first is the fact that David doesn't call the being he is addressing in prayer as my God, although he could have. He doesn't address him as his Lord or his master, which also he could have. But you'll notice that it's written in our English Bibles, the word Lord in all capital letters. David is referring to the personal God, the one who is the source of all things, the creator God, the one who has made promises even by way of covenant to his people, as the one who watches over and cares for his own, just like a father, as David would say in Psalm 103, tenderly cares for his own children. In this psalm, I believe it's five times he says, to you, Yahweh, translated Lord, to the personal God, the covenant-making, covenant-keeping God, the one who is ever-present with his people, do I call. Also, you'll notice that as David reflects upon God, he mentions different things about God's person and the way God works on his behalf that is beneficial for him as he goes through this experience and is beneficial for us to know as we go through the experiences of life as well. What does he say? Verse 1, my rock, don't be deaf to me. Verse 7, Yahweh is my strength. He's my shield. Therefore, my heart trusts in him. In verse 8, the Yahweh is the strength of his people or their strength. He is the literally refuge of salvation or of deliverances for his anointed. Verse 9, he is the shepherd. As you think about today and whatever may befall you, how wonderful it is to know this personal, ever-present God who is the creator and sustainer of all things, who has made promises to you confirmed by Jesus Christ through his own blood, will never leave you nor forsake you, He is the foundation, the rock, upon which you can rest today. He is the one that 
empowers, enables you to meet whatever comes this day as your strength. He is the one that is your shield to protect and watch over you. He is the one that even though trials overtake you that are not common to man, he's the one that always provides the way of escape that you may endure it, the refuge of salvations. He is the shepherd, the good shepherd, who takes care of his people. And that's the focus in the psalm, that this personal God is worthy of our trust. And David is expressing his confident trust in this personal God to protect him, to provide for him, and to keep him. And oh, how we can then learn from him in that way. Now, if we look at this song, it really falls into two categories. First, we have, and I'll use the word of David, his supplication to the Lord, which is really verses 1 through 5. And in verses 6 through 9, we see the sufficiency of Yahweh or of the Lord or David's satisfaction in the Lord, whichever way you'd like to look at it. But it is his recognition of his problem and the fact that God is more than able to meet whatever may come to pass and whatever need he may have. As we look at the supplication of David very briefly, we notice that first David makes an urgent plea. And while we don't have it as dramatically expressed in the English, this uh, first couple of verses, David is using intense uh, supplication, pleading with God, that God would intervene and God would help because he knows he is right at the brink of being destroyed. And so he can't think about, well, maybe next uh, week or in a month from now, God might intervene. Lord, I need you right now. Uh, they're upon me and I have no resource uh, other than you to help me. And so it is David's urgent plea to be delivered from death Uh, that he does not go down to the pit. Now, as he expresses his plight in verse 3, we recognize that David's concern is that while he knows there are things about himself that deserve God's discipline and God's judgment, he is asking God to preserve his favor to him and don't let me be dragged away with the wicked. Instead of being an object of your judgment, let me be the object of your continued favor. And in particular, as David thinks of the wicked, you'll notice what characteristic he uses to describe them, what you and I would typically think of as a hypocrite. They are individuals who pose themselves as being the friend, to want to come alongside, to be helpful. But what does he say is true in their hearts? While they are speaking peace, we want your shalom. We want what's for your good and for your benefit. Inwardly, they're plotting how they can use you to get something for themselves. And so you can see in circumstances in David's life, where when he was running from Saul, there were individuals who appeared to be his friends, but as soon as David was gone, they ran to tell Saul where David was, 
and sought to uh, benefit from Saul in receiving some kind of remuneration for the kindness they showed to him. So no loyalty to David. And on the other hand, we can see the same thing with the time in which he had to flee from Absalom. And even his one of his most trusted counselors, Ahithophel, could speak peace, but inwardly there was still that turmoil of seeking to overthrow David. And so in the same way, you and I need to recognize this world is not a friend of grace. Uh, if you were of the world, those of the world would do what to you? They would love you. And please remember that phrase used by Christ is not phileo. He doesn't say if you were of the world, the world would emotionally embrace you. If you were of the world, the world would say, we want what's best for you. Our decisions are to seek your well-being. That is the concept of agape. And so, know that if you were in the world, the world loves darkness rather than light. And it is going to hate you that is, not an emotionally disgust for, but decisions that will be for your detriment rather than love you. And if you think that's surprising, Jesus said, the servant is not greater than the master. And if they've hated me, you can know they'll hate you as well. And so what we find is the hypocrisy that's true in the world where individuals appear that they have a genuine concern for the well-being of others, but ultimately they're looking out for themselves. And so David recognizes that God's judgment rightly falls on those who have no integrity um, within. As he said again in the Psalms, you desire truth in the innermost part. And where there is this hypocrisy, the putting on of a mask to dress up and appear one way when in reality something else is going on inside. It is displeasing to God. Now you understand why it is so displeasing to God. Not because it's harmful to you or me if someone you know, acts as if they want our well-being but then want to stab us in the back if they want to give us the kiss of Judas to appear as our friend and are only betraying us. That's because let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. And one of the most corruptible de uh, deviations from what it is to be in the image of God is the fact that we are not people of uprightness and integrity. Let us make man in our image. And so after man falls, God will say, God's not a man that he should lie, neither a son of man that he should repent. But his word is something you can count on. Once he speaks, it'll be. They speak peace, but evil is in their hearts. They're looking out for themselves. So because of that, David prays that God would righteously judge the wicked. In other words, that God would uphold the moral, ethical principles of the universe. Requite them according to their work and according to the evil of their practice according to the deeds of their hands, repay them. And the bottom line is, because they have no concern for God. 
and they don't acknowledge his greatness and all that he has done. They do not regard the works of the Lord nor the deeds of his hands. Therefore, he will tear them down. Voice, Romans 1. Why is the wrath of God displayed from heaven? And he says, because mankind knew him as God. They didn't honor him as God and nor were they faithful. Man lives as if all exists for him rather than giving glory to the one who deserves it. So David says, because of their spurning of God and his goodness, for this perversion of their character, that God will execute his judgment. And rather than being associated with those who are the recipients of divine judgment, David asked for a temporal deliverance and that God would show favor to him instead of judging him in his situation. Verses 6 through 9, David recognizes that God is faithful to his word, and therefore, even though he hasn't experienced the answer tangibly, he knows God's heard, and God will deliver. So blessed be Yahweh. He's heard the voice of my supplication. So even during a very anxious, tumultuous time, where David could say, boy, I'm tied up in knots inside. There's now the beginning of joy and peace in the heart of David. He's heard my supplication. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him. And so a dependence upon God provides a resource that enables him to go through the circumstance Not just to put up with it, but with joyous, um, almost celebration of the favor that God shows to him as an object of his grace. And so, in this praise of God, he recognizes the Lord is the one who helps, and his heart now exalts, and with his song, he shall thank him found it interesting, the term that David uses here to express the idea of thanks is not the word that is often used, but it is derived from a word that you'll remember in another form. It is the name of one of Jacob's children. We know him as Judah, Yudah. And this word means to confess to acknowledge. It has an idea of praising, but it's the uh, word that has more of the idea that I recognize where I am, what I have, the protection and provision that's been made is something that God deserves to be acknowledged for the blessings that he gives, for the favor that is bestowed. My heart in song acknowledges him, thanks him, recognizing I'm in a circumstance no one else could help me, but God is the one 
who is more than able. And so not only is this true of me, says David, but notice he is the uh, strength of his people, or my version has he's their strength. Uh, Either could be the right translation, as well as the saving defense or the refuge of salvation for his anointed. The point David's making is, if you are one of those favored by God, my circumstance is not unique. God is the one that cares for every one of his children. And he watches over and protects and provides for them. And if you are the object of God's favor, then like David, you will intercede for those who are also the object of his grace. So he says, save your people and bless your inheritance. If I'm one that has been so enriched by God, sustained in times of difficulty, it's something that bubbles up within me, that it gives me a genuine concern for others who are part of the household of faith. And I therefore rejoice with those who rejoice. I have sorrow with those who hurt. And I have a natural concern for their well-being. And like David, I ask God to show favor and mercy to them. In what way? To really shepherd them. To know that the Lord is my shepherd and I won't want. That he's the one that takes care of my every need and provides for me as I go through the experiences of life. And I don't go alone. You know why? Because he carries all the sheep. He upholds them. If you think about this psalm, what is it that we should learn from it? What should we comprehend? I think the first thing is that the greatest blessing of all for those who are the children of God is to know that God has made us the objects of his grace. To know that every day it is grace upon grace as John describes it in his gospel that God pours out upon his people. I think it is also important for us to know that the care that God has for his children is not just manifested in the provision of temporal blessings to enrich, to sustain, to um, benefit his own. But the reality that as he takes us through deep waters and through times of great struggle, God will still be there not only superintending the circumstances, but providing his people with a peace that surpasses all understanding. I can go to the New Testament and the Apostle Paul says, don't be anxious for anything. I don't care what your problem is, how life-threatening it may seem to be, no matter how overwhelming or how difficult it be anxious for nothing. But instead, in everything... With prayer and supplication with, and here's the important component, gratitude, with thanksgiving, to understand I am the object of God's unconditional love. 
I am the object of his all-sufficient grace. I am the one that can never be separated from the love of God, which is found in Christ Jesus the Lord. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will garrison up. It'll become that refuge, that wall of strength, will garrison your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus the Lord. Not too long ago, we looked at the statement that um, was made by Peter. You and I are commanded to cast all of our cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for us. And I pray that each day as a day of thanksgiving for you as one of God's children, that as you count your many blessings and you name them one by one, that you'll remember the great blessing of being the object of God's favor. And that instead of ever giving his children what they deserve, he always showers them in his grace. Doesn't mean he doesn't discipline them. Doesn't mean he doesn't take them through times of great difficulty. But the wonder is that God is always there as the refuge, the strength, the ever-present help in any time of trouble. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus, talked about having the control of the Spirit in our lives. And interestingly, he said in verse 20, giving thanks for all things. Didn't just say give thanks in everything, like we're memorizing, but giving thanks for all things. Your life today is as God has planned it, so he is doing it. Your life today is God working all things together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And while it will include difficulties and trials, the cross we are to take up each day, there is the recognition that your God is sufficient, that he will never abandon you, that he will never forsake you. In his unbelievable compassion, he has made you the object of his favor And no one or nothing can ever cause God to discard or curse those that he has made the object of his blessing. Isn't that wonderful? And whatever we go through when we think of giving thanks to God, know that God has a reason and a purpose even in the difficulties that we face and has designed them for his glory and our good as he conforms us to the image of Christ. What we need to understand is God is more than the sufficient object of our faith. And to rest and trust in him is with that knowledge of knowing God never fails us. God never forsakes us. God is the shepherd who keeps us and carries us in his arms.
And one of the greatest blessings we have as one of his children is to be the object of his favor, that he will never turn away from his children. Let's pray.